0: top of the rocky steps today boring bum bum ba-da, bum ba-da, bum ba-da, bum ba-da. everybody already did that no one only in, like in the 80s okay so so welcome to overdue this is a podcast about the books oh, that, that you gonna- oh my god if you interrupt me when i'm saying it we can't start like that huh that's weird. Welcome to Overdue. This is a podcast about the books that you've been meaning to read. My name is Craig. My
1: name is Andrew.
0: And what I was moving on to say, since you were bored by me running to the top of the rocky steps, was that I saw a guy running with a parachute attached to him because he was too good at running, so he had to slow <laughs> himself down. God, made I have him... nothing.
1: I have nothing to say to that except that that's really funny. God made him too perfect and so I'm too fast <laughs>
0: too fast i need to slow myself down
1: didn't you see him at the olympics he was the guy with the uh parachute <laughs> dragging behind him he still won though <laughs> and he also was really good jumping over hurdles i don't know how the physics of that works. And it
0: was weird because no one knew where it came from he just like fell out of the sky onto the
1: track and started running right he wasn't he wasn't competing for any country he wasn't competing for any prizes. He was just doing it for the love of the game and because he's a he's a running machine and that's his his blessing and his curse. He might have been true. an
0: angel, I don't know. Do angels have parachutes or do they have wings? I, I always can mix them up. Can
1: heaven compete in the Olympics? <laughs>
0: Only if hell can.
1: Did you see hell's opening ceremonies? They were terrifying. <laughs> Did you see? <laughs> Well, I, I, everyone remembers that you where a hell boycott at the Olympics.
0: <laughs> they, <laughs> this they is tried a weird to, They over. tried to give Hell the winter Olympics and it really didn't work out.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, those guys were curling and then the whole field just turned into a <laughs> lake of lava and that was that was sad for everybody involved.
0: Do you see where that guy, when Heaven hosted the Olympics in 2007, which is an off year, I understand it's part of the goof, and that guy did like the 30-yard jump or whatever, he just fell right through the cloud and he
1: died? What is happening?
0: (laughs) I'm totally on board with this show, Andrew. uh, Each week, one of us reads a book of some sort and talks about it to the other person. I find it relevant that we're talking about Heaven and Hell,
1: because what books did you
0: read this week?
1: I read "Till We Have Faces: A Myth Retold" by Clive Staples Lewis. Wait, do you mean C.S. Lewis? I do mean C.S. I
0: caught you. That's his name.
1: I just think Clive Staples Lewis is the is a pretty good name. You could also. And I wonder if I wonder if he's related to the guy who started Staples, the office supply store, which is not named after the staples that they sell, but after Fred and Francine Staples who founded it as a mom-and-pop office supply store in uh, West Virginia in 1937. Did you know that Francis's father, Patrick Staples,
0: invented the staple?
1: (laughs) Oh, that's why it's called Staples. Yeah. (laughs) Man, we got it. Okay, every week one of us reads a book and explains it to the other one, in spite of what seems to be happening so far. (laughs) So C. S. Lewis is a guy who you might know because he wrote the Chronicles of Narnia books. Chronicles um,
0: What of Narnia? Yeah, those books. Right. He wrote that rap with Andy Sandberg.
1: hmm Yeah, he did that too. We can't afford to get caught in, in the tide of another tangent right now, but I thought you were gonna that was say copyright law. <laughs> so that's why I only no. said two like three words. Ahead. I don't I don't care about copyright law. Okay. Come at me. That's true. You know, fun fun fact, um, since uh, C. S. Lewis Died in uh, 1963, mm-hmm, I believe, mm-hmm. in countries where copyright lapses after, uh, 50 years after the creator's death. His works just went public domain last year. Um, Unlike Canada, Canada is on that list. Yeah, I think we're a 75-year well, country, Well, yeah, right? the UK
0: is also a 50-year... I think United States is technically 75, but it's really whenever Mickey Mouse would expire, I think is the <laughs> law. Actually, I think that might... The real look into it it's like chemtrails it's a ma- I think vast it's, conspiracy
1: i think it's just when the extremely litigious estate allows the rights to expire that's that's when it goes into the public building. yeah and
0: we love litigious estates in america so
1: that's what this country is built for. <laughs> i, I, think found, I right. find it i thought it was kind of sad um he died in 1963 and um it was november 22nd 1963 uh-huh. and his Death was a little remarked upon because he just happens to have died on the same day that JFK was assassinated.
0: It's true, and the day so, that bad luck. Uh, uh, Al- Aldous Huxley, excuse me. there you go. Another prominent uh, British writer, I believe.
1: You got there.: Yeah,
0: I found it. Uh, he also died that day, and so people were people were not paying attention to C.S. Lewis that day,
1: which is which a little is sad, too bad, because a lot um, of people like him now. What else can you tell me about C.S. Lewis?
0: Well, he was born in 1898. At the age of four, his dog Jaxie died, and oh. he announced that his name was now Jaxie. And <laughs> at first, he would answer to no other name, uh, but later accepted Jack, the name by which he was known for the rest of his life. So seriously, yeah. So I'm kind of glad that we did like a whole like goof on his name because he goofed on his name his entire life. <laughs> I
1: don't know if that was a goof.
0: Well he did, um in later writings, particularly in his Space Trilogy, which is a thing I didn't know existed, more Mm -hmm. on that in a second, he came up with like a concept of uh, animal sentience, which is like spelled like H N A U. Basically he seemed into the idea that animals like maybe had a soul or,
1: or maybe deserved to be treated like more than animals. Now, did that work into the Narnia stuff at all? Because that's all about talking animals, or is I that think just it I think related.
0: I think it that didn't work into Narnia as much as Jesus Christ worked into Narnia. Sure, but it's a few <laughs> few things did, uh, but it certainly worked into the like plant creatures that I think existed in the Space Trilogy. And then would it also inform uh, the Ents in the Tolkien books? Because I don't know if you knew this, Andrew, but he and J.R.R. Tolkien were like best good friends.
1: Yeah, they were good buds.
0: Uh, but we'll get to that in a second. I want to blow through the early part of C.S. Lewis's life. His mother passed away when he was 10. He would later kind of like adopt a mom. Um, his friend Patty Moore, who passed away in World War One, they made a pact with each other that like if one of them died in battle, the other would go back and take care of the other person's family, which I think is kind of cool. Yeah, and uh, he became real close with Patty's mom and referred to her as his mom until she passed away.
1: Oh, that's nice. Um,
0: and what else? He renounced his Christian faith at the age of 13, which is a big deal for C.S. Lewis overall because the bulk of his work other than Narnia uh, and I guess the Space Trilogy, which I need to keep remembering, exists. Um <laughs> are seen, at least the early half of it, seen as kind of Christian apologist work. Uh, mm-hmm. So he renounced his faith when he was 13. He got into just general atheism and the occult and myth. Uh, and then it wasn't until after he served in World War One, which confirmed his atheism. Mm-hmm. Um, and in around 1930... He converted back to theism and then Christianity formally in 1931, mm-hmm. uh, which some credit to the writer George MacDonald, whose work uh, kind of seems to have changed C.S. Lewis's mind, as well as his close friendship with J.R. Tolkien. You said you knew about that, Andrew.
1: Yeah, yeah, though Tolkien was a little miffed that he did not become Catholic. Mm. That's true. Like the particular brand of christianity that he chose was not <laughs> was not Tolkien's first choice but well yeah cuz lewis
0: he when he converted back you know he was irish and he did not seem to hold england in very high esteem sure. uh, there are a bunch of goofy quotes about him hating on england but he converted to uh Anglic- is it anglicism or anglanit mm. The uh, In- Church of England. The Church of England. Let's, let's not make it harder than English
1: Anglican. Anglican. Yes,
0: he was, he was Anglican. Uh, but his book, specifically Mere Christianity and, and a lot of his writings, kind of preached a pragmatic view of Christianity that assumed that everyone was there for the right reasons and, you know, like a general universal morality and said, like, listen, just like we're all – just chill out, just kind of, <laughs> just chill out with all the real specific Christianity stuff, and let's all get on board with Jesus and what it means for us, mm-hmm. um, which, I, you know, kind of, he is the apologist for skeptics, is how he's viewed, you know, having been a skeptic himself, and then he has the fervor of the convert, you know what I mean, he has the zeal right, of the yeah, convert.
1: I mean- there's a uh, there's and there's some of that that comes into uh, till we have faces because a lot of what that book kind of concerns itself with is like if the, if the if God exists why doesn't he why doesn't he show me that he exists basically it's like people people being mm-hmm. people needing something concrete to like hang their faith upon and that i there was an interesting quote that i found while i was researching that said uh what during his atheist phase he was paradoxically angry with god for not existing <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> which i think is a good line that's pretty good actually
0: <laughs> um he so he wrote this well he wrote the space trilogy let's get this out of the way the space trilogy in 1938 to 1945 And I thought it was interesting, worth bringing up, because apparently in a conversation with Tolkien in 1936, they were going over how interesting myth is. They both studied medieval literature and the Romantics. Excuse me? And he thought that this kind of post-Brothers Grimm thing where myth... Like, myth and fairy tale got relegated to children. Have we talked about that on the show, Andrew?
1: We have talked about it, and uh, most explicitly, I think, in our Wizard of Oz yeah, episode. Yeah, yeah. Um, that was episode 10, I think. Wow. So, going Whoa. back a couple of years. But, <laughs> yeah, uh, L. Frank Baum talked pretty explicitly in the first part of that book about um, countering the grim thing. And making make, making fairy tales a little bit lighter. Yes. and I guess by the by the time Tolkien and T. Uh, S. Lewis would have been talking about it in the 30s or 40s, that would yeah, that would definitely be enough time for backlash to that movement to have started. Which is in contrast to the internet age, where it would have taken about 30 seconds.
0: <laughs> That's a good point.
1: Instead of 30 years, but that is neither here nor there. I guess uh,
0: they you know decided to embark on. Kind of general fantasy writing. Like the big trade off between Lewis and Tolkien is that Tolkien's credited with bringing Lewis back to Christianity and Lewis is credited with encouraging Tolkien to publish his fiction um, and push him into publishing his fiction.
1: Yeah. Cause Tolkien, I would, I would like to do him on the podcast, but it would have to be you who would be doing him because I've read it all. But <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But the, he's, like, every single, like, uh, Robert Jordans and the George R. R. Martins of the world owe everything they know about <laughs> fantasy world building to J.R.R. R. R. Tolkien. That's true. Yeah.
0: Um, but this conversation between Tolkien and Lewis that happened in 1936, apparently, they just sat down and drew, like, a papal line of demarcation between sci-fi. And Tolkien said he would write about time travel... And Lewis said he would write about space. And Tolkien never wrote the time travel books.
1: But no, I didn't. I was going to say, when did he write? <laughs> did the Eagles actually. Oh, I get it. The Eagles traveled from present day America. The Eagles are just the Philadelphia portal. football team.
0: I don't know if you knew that.
1: <laughs> and they. Yeah, I thought it was weird that one of them like picked up Frodo under his arm and just ran into the Mountain.
0: fridge, came back in time and picked that guy up. Uh, but. So splitting the uprights. Yep, that's what they did. Laces out. Uh, so, <laughs> so C. S. Lewis's space books are a lot more fantasy space. I guess it's like one takes place on Mars, one on Venus, one on Earth. There are angels that exist. It's not really like the H. G. Wells. Here's what technology might might like bring. It's more about just kind of fantastical landscapes. Um. And going to different places right uh but so then the another interesting note about tolkien and lewis is that you know with narnia and i actually maybe i once read lion and the witch and oh like man yeah that's a i mean that's a series that i could definitely go to for the show because i haven't read that series we could at do all
1: a whole episode and actually there is there is a book i want to read about um Somebody who basically read the Narnia books as a kid and then came back to them as an adult and was like, wait a second, mm. this is a hundred percent Christian allegory. That makes me kind of upset. Um I'm not I'm not saying that, that that's like the reaction I have to them now, but I I think I enjoyed them a little more as a kid. But I yeah, I read those books front to back like a bunch of times. Interesting. Um it's like that and Lord of the Rings were were I was too busy like reading Star seminal. Wars books. That's the problem. Yeah, like what did I spent so much
0: time in like middling Star Wars fiction, like reading about like Han's kids like making their own lightsabers and all the little solos. And like that time that Luke became a ghost, like it was
1: weird. Dude, what uh, was I doing? What were your parents doing? Is what I, I don't know. I don't know, like I guess my mom was cool, whatever. I was a kid in fifth grade, and I'm probably I've said this before. I was the kid who was reading, like, the two towers with the cover facing out so everybody would know about the big, complicated chapter book that I was reading. Oh, good call. I mean, I think I... <laughs> I don't think anybody was as impressed as I <laughs> wanted them to be, but... I will say that, like,
0: I would I would take a week vacation with my friend's family We'd go to a grocery store and I would buy a bunch of Star Wars books from the checkout line. Like, I, that's mm-hmm. what I would spend my time doing. It wasn't like soaking up rays and tossing the pigskin. So, did you read
1: Lord of the Rings? No. Oh, Jesus Christ. That's a, well, that's a, that's an appropriate name to invoke right now. But I, I've read The Hobbit dude, I like five times. I, I don't know why we have not done three episodes. I don't know. you reading the Lord of the Rings trilogy. I don't know. I think know. that we need to make that happen. If you want to make that happen, you should email overduepod at gmail.com. Ten times a piece for each of you and just. Okay. <laughs> so. Just let's, demand that it happen.
0: Okay. Real quick though. Uh, one of the. Oh, but talking about the Narnia books. Tolkien actually disliked how overtly allegorical they were. Yes, they the two of them disagreed on how best to weave Christian myth into uh, kind of these larger mythical tales. Like both Lewis and Tolkien were interested in medieval literature, and Lewis in particular, kind of Norse mythology, and his allegory, as we all know, that Aslan is Jesus, and some other stuff. Because I don't really know what the sure, yep, yeah, uh huh, and um. Tolkien thought that that was heavy-handed and distracted from that like distracted from the story itself and would actually lead people to confuse what elements of Christianity you were referencing. Like he thought if you were being too overt with it but still wrapping it up in this story, it would confuse people whereas you could just kind of like subtly put it in your book like he did with Gandalf, I guess.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, there's there's a whole forward. I don't remember if it's to The Hobbit or Lord of the Rings, but Tolkien wrote this whole forward. Like he really disagreed with that reading of Lord of the Rings that has, like, the, like The Hobbit as World War One and then Lord of the Rings as World War Two and like the Eagles coming in at the end to save everybody is like America and mm. like he really did not like that reading and he wrote this entire forward about how much he disliked allegory. Mm. And he just he basically said, you know, any resemblance to uh, to real life events is entirely coincidental, and please stop. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So yeah, that, that I I can definitely see that being a point of uh, contention between them because yeah, Lewis is pretty heavy handed, and Tolkien is like, that's uh, I don't eh, that's not my jam. Uh, we should no thanks. We should get no thanks on
0: the allegory. <laughs> no thank you. We should get into the book uh, soon, but I just real quick want to run down little tidbits. The bulk of um, Lewis's kind of Christian apologist work gets published around the time of World War II, which includes Mere Christianity, The Problem of Pain, and The Screwtape Letters, as well as The Great Divorce. Uh, I'm familiar with both The Screwtape Letters and The Great Divorce. I think they're awesome. So if anybody's interested in C.S. Lewis after this show, they should go read those. Uh, He was on the cover of Time Magazine, which is pretty cool. Not everybody gets to do that um
1: technically everybody got to do that
0: oh that's right you were on it and i was on it (laughs) in like 2006 Uh, or 2007 right into that when
1: the when the person of the year was you but anyway Uh,
0: anyway uh he churned out a narnia a year for like five years starting in 1950 Mm -hmm. which is pretty impressive and then he did marry late in his life After spending like the bulk of his time after going to Oxford and Cambridge, like in this group called the Inklings, which is where he hung out with Tolkien all the time, he, in 1956, uh, three months before Till We Have Faces was published, uh, he married Joy Davidson Gresham, an American writer, poet, and novelist. And and they were friends, and I think she actually helped work on Till We Have Faces. But uh, he married her to, st- I think, to help her stay in the United Kingdom. Did you see that Andrew about Joy David, and Gresham?
1: Yeah. Um. I just, I mostly about that relationship. I thought it was really sad that she died like four like, years not, later. Not that long yeah, after, and, and then he died a couple of years after that. Yeah. Um. Yeah.
0: But. Yeah, they they seem to have struck up, you know, a working relationship and friendship, and then that led to her leaving America. Um, she was a member of the Communist Party and, uh like, left her husband after converting back to Christianity, uh, and then had been, you know, working with C.S. Lewis, and yeah, it seems like he married her so that she could stay in the UK legally, and then it turned into a thing where they appreciated their situation so that's cool yeah i think that's it we have we've not delved too far into like there's years and years of scholarship you can do on c.s lewis's christian writings um which i'm sure some of which will come into play as we talk about the book but know that we're probably only beginning to scratch the surface of that yeah and i
1: I like we're, we're we'll uh tangle with some religious questions as we go through this book but this um I guess the main thrust of it is more about a, uh, a like classical myth rather than like explicitly Christianity, though there are certainly you know themes interwoven throughout.
0: Well, I want you to tell me about that book, Andrew, but first I want to ask what you are doing the weekend of August 29th.
1: Weekend of August 29th? I think I was planning to go to Philadelphia, but I don't remember why. <laughs> was it for the Philly PodFest?
0: Yes, which is a probably which is a dual weekend gathering of Philly-based Philly-affiliated podcasts.
1: Philly is short for Philadelphia. Oh, excuse me, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, P- Pennsylvania United States, United States of America, Earth, Planet Earth, the Universe, Milky
0: Wil- Milky Way Galaxy. First, <laughs> Universe, then the mind of God. Excuse me. Uh, so, Did you- Jesus. Uh, on Saturday, August twenty-ninth, it looks like. Andrew and I will be doing a live show
1: at Philly. You don't need Podcast? to sound so tentative about it. Uh, we are super excited to announce that we are part of the Philadelphia Podcast Festival. Third, um, and are going. They're going into their third year. Yeah. Um. And we are going to be doing a live episode recording, um, at two p.m. on Saturday, the 29th. Is that correct?
0: That's correct. Now that's correct as of this date. This recording on July 12th or 13th, whatever day it is. Yeah,
1: yeah. If, if that changes, we'll let you know. But if you want to come see us, you should mark your calendars. Uh, this is happening at uh, the tattooed mom bar or, which is on what street is it on south it's
0: street in, it's on south street andrew and i mm-hmm. went to a barley wine festival there earlier this year it was super fun they're cool i have a- to
1: post a picture of one of craig's faces from the <laughs> barley wine it's a festival. it's a really
0: cool <laughs> venue and one of the reasons that it's a super cool venue is that they are hosting philly Podfest like for free so admission is free um obviously come in and, and plan to get a nice drink in the afternoon so i think it's 21 and up if we have some folks who are listening like in their college years yeah no i'm 100 percent sure it's
1: 21 and up if maybe it's a
0: don't bar. come in but yeah so we'll keep you posted on more updates about the live show but we wanted you all to know about it so you could start planning for it now
1: and uh we, we we're going to be asking well like we've we've been kicking around some thoughts about what we would read um, so we're having, we've had a couple of ideas. One is that we would read, uh, Gray Why would by E.L. E. James. People now? Why I'm
0: just,
1: would you I'm tell just saying we're going to, we're going to be pulling the electorate. One, oh, another God. one that we thought about is a uh, go at a watchman, the new Harper Lee book. Oh, um, and we're also going to take, uh, take listener requests, I think, just to see what would be the best fit for the live show. So yeah, they look, look for more about that on Facebook and Twitter, uh, but I think it's going to be a really fun time.
0: Man, you were just calling my bluff on this one. You were just putting it to the audience right away. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can't am I calling your
1: bluff. I can't, I
0: can't even control you anymore. Just tell me. Just I'm off the chain. Sometimes we sometimes we plan things for this show. Like, we prepare notes, we read the books, like we actually read them. Sometimes we read the books. <laughs> but then sometimes one of us just goes, and we know that we're not going to edit it out later. Good job, Andrew. Listen, man,
1: why keep, why keep a secret? Why do I got to hide this light under a bushel? This little light of mine?
0: Yeah. I'm going to let it shine?
1: Yeah. That
0: one. Tell me about this book. We've spent so much time not talking about it. <laughs> Till we have faces. I got a face right now.
1: Get... So I'm making a, it at you. It's, it's, it's disgusted. <laughs> uh, Till we have faces, a myth retold. This was uh, C.S. Lewis' final novel, uh, published in 1956. It's true, um, which is seven years before he died. Correct, a right? window. All right, um, let's talk about the myth that it's retelling first. Please, uh, let's talk about it. So, what do you do? You know uh, the Cupid and Psyche myth?
0: Yes. Uh, I'm not going to ask you to bleep this out. It's part of the Golden Ass
1: story. Right. Right. Yeah. It's in a a, a collection of stories by uh, Apuleius, Apuleius called The Golden Ass. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, actually, I we were just packing up to move today and I just took this book off my shelf and I was like, oh, hey. Hey, Goldman. <laughs> <laughs> just because I remember I remember reading the story in college. It's about that? a donkey. Did you, donkey.
0: Did you say that out loud?
1: yeah did anyone hear you
0: did anyone you the entire say that to a book
1: public <laughs> i said it in my mind <laughs> um so the myth the myth there since you're you're getting caught up on minutia over there so there were these three beautiful daughters who lived in some unnamed kingdom uh the youngest one was the most beautiful of all and she was so beautiful that everybody wanted to pay attention to her instead of to Venus. And Venus was like, uh-uh. And so she sends her son Cupid to make Psyche, that's the name of the youngest daughter, fall in love with the ugly person.
0: Now you mean the goddess Venus. Right, yeah. Okay,
1: just clarifying. Yes. Uh, but uh, Cupid, butterfingers, scratches himself with his own arrow... Oh, come Any, on, keep Cupid. And he falls in love with Psyche. Now, I feel like you need to have some kind of like safety on your heart bow so that you don't <laughs> do this to yourself all the time. Like, yeah, some sort of like
0: plastic cover that you could put on it, like an outlet for babies. So that yeah, you don't yeah, just yeah. like shove your finger in the love juice and then like... <laughs> fall in love with something d- i've seen midsummer night's dream i know what happens people
1: make fools of themselves so cupid and cupid so psyche there's a whole bunch of stuff where like psyche gets taken up by the west wind to uh not not to be confused with the west wing which is a show that i'm watching right martin now. martin sheen came by martin sheen comes down and takes psyche to cupid's like pal- palatial estate but cupid doesn't want her to see him okay and so all the, every time when she comes comes to him she's it's like it's dark out and, and psyche is pretty cool with this arrangement but she's like oh i miss my sisters oh can we come bring them up and cupid's like oh, god in-laws <laughs> but psyche of psyche convinces him to have the west wing uh bring them up okay so martin sheen goes down again grabs them brings them up and they are pretty jealous and so they they convince psyche to take like a lantern into the bedroom and light it up and see cupid like that's that's what they want her to do because they're i don't know because of jealousy
0: now do they think that cupid's gonna be ugly
1: In in this myth, I don't remember. Okay, sure, I'm sure there's a thing about it. It's it's certainly an element of the story, but of the original myth, I'm not sure. So she lights it up and she sees him, and she's so taken with his beauty that she accidentally drips hot like lamp oil on him. Ow! And he wakes up, and then she gets she gets punished, and then she has to go through some trials, and then in the end, everybody ends up happy. That's a long and short. I missed the part where that made sense. Well, that's, I mean,
0: that's, <laughs> that's myth most Greek you. myths. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, that's, that's actually part of like Lewis had been fascinated with this myth since his undergraduate days, because to his mind, a lot of the characters in it act like irrationally or illogically. Okay. And so he had been playing with uh, different versions of it ever since then um and apparent apparently this particular version did not take him long to write, but he had been thinking on it for a good long time huh so uh in in the retelling of the myth we we see it through the eyes of orwal that's uh o r u a l okay um this is the oldest of the three sisters cool in the story, and she is actually ugly oh and we're told that over and over again. So she she lives in uh this kingdom called Glome with her dad, who's not super cool, uh her sister, who's kind of a flibbertigibbet, gibbet, a will-the wisp, a clown.
0: Okay. <laughs> okay, grandpa.
1: <laughs> and um and a few other people. <laughs> So her her dad re her dad the king remarries, and the the marriage is short lived because you know she has psyche and then dies. Okay. But Orwell and psyche and they have this uh, this Greek slave named they call him the fox. That's and a he's great kind of a, name. Yeah, he's kind of a mentor to them, and he teaches them about Greek things, and they're just they're they're very happy for a while, uh, but then. This sort of pestilence begins affecting the people, and for one reason or another, they they blame Psyche, hmm. and there are people. um So there, there's this goddess named Unget, Ungit, U N G I T. Could have got a better you, name. Could have got a better name, Ungit. Yeah, but this is this is Venus slash Aphrodite. Like this is this is could have
0: gone with Venus. Her Unget. this is
1: her representation in this in this world. Okay. Um, the the priest of unget comes down and says, well, every other time that all this bad stuff has happened to us, we've had to find the accursed and we've had to sacrifice. her To like be a wife to ungets son. Okay. So they do that. Uh, Okay. Orwell's super sad because she liked Psyche a lot, but she, she decides a few days later to go like, like the, they take Psyche to a tree and like tie her to it and then leave her there. And the implication is that the gods will just do with her what they will. Um, the Fox is kind of a rationalist. Like he, he thinks that a lot of the stuff that the gods like that are attributed to the gods are just like chance and are not actually supernaturally driven. So they, she, they kind of figure that maybe she's just going to starve to death or, get eaten by wolves or something and so so Orwell goes up to that tree to like find her remains and give them a proper burial and just like give herself some closure but there's nothing there there's nothing at the tree so they go past the tree into this kind of forbidden place and orwell finds psyche and psyche is like oh man i'm married to this super cool guy and we live in this cool palace, don't you see it? And Orwell's like, no, I don't, I don't see it. Mm, what's mm. what's your deal? And so, so in this story, like the the key departure point is that Orwell, her sister, is not acting solely out of like petty jealousy. So she Orwell gets into her head thanks thanks to uh, the fox and um, Bardia. The most popular baby name of 1956, Bardia.
0: Hey, my mom. My mom was born in 1956, and her name is Barbara. That's like it's pretty close. I think it's
1: yeah. I think it's the the Americanization of Bardia. That's that's what I thought. Um, they they each talk to Orwell and and kind of say, "Well, Psyche must be like deluded. She was probably." taken by like a thief or some kind of monstrous god and she thinks she's happy but she's not really so orwell goes up and says dude you really need to take this lamp and you need to light it when you go into the room so you can see who it is who actually is who actually you're married to
0: oh interesting okay so in this case orwell is not you know oh haha like turn on the light and see how dumb your husband is it's like no really (laughs) like you need to go in because it might be like a demon or something
1: see it's it's double-sided because she does it out of love but the other side of that love is that she is super jealous because she kind of sees herself as a mother to psyche okay and she is feeling bitter that psyche could find like love and happiness with anybody else Okay, that seems which valid. Which is another which yeah. is another key thing about the book. Yeah. So Psyche does this and then just everything literally explodes. Oh no. <laughs> oh no. And Psyche gets like exiled and Orwall kind of gets a glimpse of a god who tells her that Psyche is Psyche's out. Uh-oh. And that, you know, and that Orwall will be Psyche and it's all like a very it's a very it's it's Orwell is is pretty sure that the gods hate her now and that everything is just going to go bad from here on out.
0: Well, it sounds like she broke all the rules, I guess. I don't yeah, really understand do great- what rules she broke, but it sounds like she broke them.
1: Yeah. Um so I want to try and just run through the rest of the plot synopsis stuff. So the book is split up into two parts. Part 1 is Orwell's complaint against the gods because she Orwell becomes queen. She actually is pretty good at it. She, you know, she wins some wars. She makes peace with the neighboring kingdom. She makes a lot of improvements to the kingdom. She frees got, a lot of her slaves. Yeah, you got to like, install like people, that
0: elevator. People have been claiming for that elevator for years. Yeah, I mean, it's
1: just, it's just smart to make it to make it handicap accessible.
0: Our kingdom is now handicap accessible. whereas before we were holding on to our historic status to prevent us from installing this elevator, which was uh, a huge cost.
1: Yeah, no, that does not seem like a good shield. (laughs) And so she, I mean, she's waiting for the, for the other shoe to drop for a long time, but I mean, she, she's a, she ends up alone. Like she doesn't, she, she never marries. She never has children. Um, She marries her sister off to, you know, the second sister um, who factors in. But, you know, in the space of an hour long podcast, I'm probably not going to talk about her a whole lot. Uh, Marries her to the king of some neighboring kingdom, like to strengthen the bonds between them.
0: Got to be friends with Spain, Um, you know. Yeah. Orwell knows what's up.
1: Fantasy Spain. So, so (laughs) Spain. So, but eventually one day she happens upon the shrine and it happens to be to a person with Psyche's name, who had a, who had sisters, and basically this the the like priest who runs this little shrine tells her the version of this myth that we know. So, oh, sisters who are who are acting entirely out of out of jealousy and bitterness and self interest, like ruin all this stuff for Psyche. And so the the entire first part of the book is framed as Orwell saying, well, I'm going to tell him the real story. I'm going to tell him what actually happened, hmm. um, which is, which is kind of neat. And then the second part of the book, which is much, much shorter, the first part is like 18, 19 chapters, something like that. And then the second part is four or five. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, It kind of happens after Orwell has had her eyes opened to to some of the things that she is she's done badly so she she orwell throughout the first part of the book sees herself as kind of wronged by the gods and like a loner and nobody loves her and like she's always having to compete with other people for her love like like the fox is originally from greece and so he has this love of his homeland and if he wasn't a slave like he wouldn't stick around and bardia has this wife and a bunch of kids who he goes home to every night and like oh i he the the soldier gig is just something that he does to to put food on the table and of course the whole like root of it is her being jealous of psyche having found love with this other person yep of course and so the second part of the book is about her seeing her seeing her fault okay in in all these relationships okay like she she comes to realize that she like with with Bardia in particular is a big example like he you know he goes home to his wife but she also she rides into battle with him she comes up with stuff for him to do just to keep him at the castle late like she's she has devotion from him that his wife does not necessarily have Mm -hmm.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: and his wife blames Orwa for kind of using him up and and making him sick and like and weak and and die before his before his time basically. Whoa. And so the what the book is is getting to is it's it's making Orwell like not only is she the sister in the story but she's also kind of Venus. So like she at a, at a certain point in the second part, like their unget is represented by this big rock that's in like a cave. <laughs> Yeah, beautiful like Venus. Yeah, Venus de Milo, the, a rock. But the rock is, you know, it's a is a lumpy rock. It's just like a rock whatever, but it's the kind of rock where you, if you look into it, you can see a bunch of different faces. Like you can make Whoa. out different shapes in the rock. And she sees her own ugly face in it while she's looking into it. Okay. One time. And so she's she realizes that she's she's demanding from people this sort of this this love and she's really jealous when these people give their love to other people so so if you go back to the original myth you know Ve- the whole thing starts when venus is jealous that other people are paying attention to psyche and not her yes of course um so that's that's kind of that's one interesting parallel um i mean do, let's let's stop do you have any like questions or anything first i know this is it's pretty dense like it's it's yeah, I was going to ask, like, what a, is it like? The to first read? part, the first part is a really quick read, actually, and is a pretty, it's a pretty engaging story. I'm not, I kind of wonder what people who read Narnia and want to read more C.S. Lewis, like people who who would pick that pick this book up, based on that, like how they would respond to it, because there are some like fantastical elements that recall that series, but it's very. Different in like tone.
0: Is it all first person? Is it all I'm telling the story?
1: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. See, yeah. it's 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 laid down as like her writing out a diary, like her writing out her complaints.
0: Yeah, because from what I from what I know uh you know, I know I know Screw Tape and I know Great Divorce, and like I said earlier, both of those are you know first person stories and, and Great Divorce is like its own little parable that happens and screw tape, as I think I said on a previous show, is structured as a series of letters. So I uh, I'm not surprised that, that he's working in this mode. Do you do you have a sense of like are there moments where it feels more like Lewis talking? Does that make sense? Is, like mean? in the second half, like are there elements of kind of her recant of her previous like condemning of why it's not her fault.
1: I mean, the the book has a, a message that I think is trying to convey. If that's what you, if that's what yeah, you're let's, getting at. Sure. Go for it. I, I mean, actually I don't think it's quite as overtly Christian as like the Narnia books are like it's, it's, it hews a lot closer to the, the Greek myth and, and, You know, asking questions about religion and about gods like within the frame of that myth, but also it's not like psyche is Jesus or something. Like (laughs) No, 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 that's fair. Yeah, yeah, you can't you can't draw the kind of one-to-one like lines between different characters and then different figures in Christianity, I guess that you can in a lot of the Narnia books. Um, so let's go.
0: Where shall we go, I'm, Andrew? I'm
1: gonna read. I'm gonna read you some quotes.
0: Oh, hit me with the quote. Um, I'm the gonna quote read stick. you.
1: I'm gonna read you how the first book ends, okay. which is you know her complaint against the gods, and then I'm going to read to you like the answer that she kind of finds to the question. Oh, interesting. That this ends okay. With. so okay. I say, therefore, that there is no creature, toad, scorpion, or serpent, so noxious to man as the gods. Let them answer my charge if they can. It may well be that, instead of answering, they'll strike me mad or leprous or turn me into beast, bird, or tree. But will not all the world then know, and the gods will know it knows, that this is because they have no answer? Hmm. So, that that gets to the core question of this, of the first part of this book, is like... If if psyche you were really married to a god and happy, why can't the gods tell me about it? Or like why why won't the gods talk to me? Why can't I talk to the gods? Why won't they like give me some sign?
0: This seems which I think is a which I
1: think is a core religious question, no matter what religion you're subscribing to.
0: And it certainly seems to jive with Lewis's perspective, which is that of the you know, scorn religion. And then, like, what you said, the, qu- the quote about him being mad at God for not existing. <laughs> and then, from what I know of his other writings, the heart of the matter is, like, it's easy to hate on religion and faith because of what it refuses to tell you, but what it refuses to tell you is the ultimate test and reward of that faith. Uh, yeah. Seems I, I think in in what little Lewis scholarship I have that seems to be the argument. So like what mm-hmm. is, what is her answer to that question?
1: So there's a there's a sequence in the second part of the book where she has a vision basically where she is actually reading her complaint to the gods, and she gets up to them and she realizes that it's not you know it's not the book that she wrote. It's a much smaller looking scroll that has you know that has less stuff in it. And she just, she is going, she feels like she's going to open her mouth to say, you know, this isn't mine. This isn't what I wrote. Give me my book back. But then she hears herself reading this complaint anyway. And this is a, this is a key component of, uh, of what she says. Um, You know well that I never really began to hate you until Psyche began talking of her palace and her lover and her husband. Why did you lie to me? You said a brute would devour her. Well, why didn't it? I'd have wept for her and buried what was left and build her a tomb, And but to steal her love from me, can it be that you really don't understand? Do you think we mortals will find you gods easier to bear if you're beautiful? And it kind of goes on like that, but it, it boils her, like she rationalizes a lot of stuff about why she's upset, but if you boil it down to its base components, she's basically mad that Psyche could love something else.
0: Yeah. And something that she can't understand, yeah, and can't yeah. see physically, mm-hmm. yeah. I, that I know Lewis has has spoken or written at least that like his main innovation for the story it's twofold, right? It's it's the setting it in her perspective, and it's the making the palace invisible part, mm-hmm. which both seem to reinforce what he's interested in from a theistic point of view,
1: yeah. Um, And so this is the this is the first paragraph in chapter four that really gets to the heart of like what the answer is. Sure. Uh, The complaint was the answer to have heard myself making it was to be answered. Mm. Lightly men talk of saying what they mean. Often when he was teaching me to write in Greek, the fox would say, child, to say the very thing you really mean, the whole of it, nothing more or less or other than what you really mean. That's the whole art and joy of words. A glib saying. When the time comes to you at which you will be forced at last to utter the speech which has lain at the center of your soul for years, which you have all that time, idiot-like, been saying over and over, you'll not talk about joy of words. I saw well why the gods do not speak to us openly, nor let us answer. Till that word can be dug out of us, why should they hear the babble that we think we mean? How can they meet us face-to-face till we have faces? Hmm. And so the gods only listen to her will only speak to her once she is she has figured out what it is that's really been bothering her this whole time i guess
0: yeah once she has seen her own face when she has spoken yeah. to herself truthfully
1: yeah like why why are the god the gods don't need to hear like your whole figuring it out phase they don't need to hear like your college experimentation <laughs> they phase don't want to see your
0: weird <laughs> high school haircut they don't want to deal with your like Dumb bands that you like.
1: Right, they don't want to read that Trapper Keeper full of crappy poetry that you wrote in junior, st- junior high study
0: hall. Like. They want you to get into life, get knee-deep in the crap that is life, and then see what your crap is and be able to identify it and then mm-hmm. ask a real question. Right. Yeah. Okay.
1: And then the uh, the last thing... I want to get to, and then we can, we can um, talk about whatever other questions you have. I think the most overtly Christian-y thing in this book is, is how the fox is kind of represented. Like He's interesting. He's, he's the skeptic's viewpoint. Okay. And so there's, there's one point where the priest of Ungit is saying that, you know, we must sacrifice the accursed to get rid of this stuff that is happening to us. But also this is going to be a bride of God. So we must offer the best of our like you know the best of our people whoever is worthy of being a bride of a god and the fox is like, well that is that not kind of contradictory <laughs> hmm. and I was actually I was thinking that as I read the priest talking and then the fox was like, hey hey that doesn't make any sense
0: <laughs> yeah I've I've read more than once that Lewis was well trained in debate and engaged in in more than a couple public ones. Uh, one of the things we didn't talk about earlier was something called the oh it the the Lewis Trilemma, which is him talking about the like g- Jesus' divinity and, yeah, you know, read up on that because it's it's a fascinating thing. but he he engaged mm-hmm. in one or two debates on that topic. Um, and actually, as you were talking about the Greek, I was thinking about his tutor, William Kirkpatrick, who Lewis called the Great Knock. Which is an awesome nickname. <laughs> uh, <laughs> who taught him a lot about Greek literature, mythology, as as well as uh debate. And what I've always noticed in, in Lewis, not from Narnia, because uh, we gotta um, fill some of these gaps. Is, that's the whole point of the show. Is <laughs> that uh he seems very aware of the other side of every argument he's making. Like even when he fervently disagrees with it. He knows that it's not like he's coming at it from this like, I can't believe that you think differently. It's, I can believe that you think differently, and it makes me sad and angry. So I'm going to write this book that attempts to convince you
1: otherwise. Yeah. Well, and then, and then that's another thing that there's that sequence where she and Psyche are, like Psyche is saying, do you not see this gigantic palace and all the stuff that I've been talking about? Mm-hmm. And... And Orwell says, no, like for, for somebody who's really rooted in the Christian faith and who totally gets it and doesn't see why other people can't get it. There's that essential gap in understanding precisely those people, like the people on the one side say, how can you not see that this is just an empty field? and the people on the other side say well how how can you not see the palace and all the great stuff that i'm trying to tell you about. Hmm. And i think that's an that's an interesting it's an interesting argument to make and it's interesting that orwell can only get to where psyche is after like 40 years of being a queen and then going through all these kind of trials and 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 coming to this understanding herself. Like she can't she can't just rub her eyes and be there she has to she has to work for it and suffer for it and it's
0: it's a very powerful and simple metaphor for that divide right Mm -hmm. here is this empty space here is a gorgeous palace full of everything i need why don't you see the same thing that i'm seeing like i you could probably come up with a thousand different characters who could have that that base argument and have it be just as powerful. Um, and, and a really good encapsulation of what it is to be on either side of that fence. You know? It's mm-hmm. interesting.
1: Yeah. So I mean it's it's a really it's a pretty breezy read. Um, if you live in Canada, I guess you can just get it for free. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, if if all you've read of C.S. Lewis's Narnia, which is all I had read, this especially if like me you came to it later and were sort of um i don't know if disappointed is the word but um you were not into like how obvious all the metaphors were Ah, fair (laughs) like you didn't like it as much when you like when i read the lord of the rings again i still like it a lot like i still find things that i hadn't found in previous reads that that i that i like like yeah. those those books have kind of grown up with me in a way that narnia has not so if if that's all you've read of c.s lewis i would suggest that you maybe start with this and then work your way out because i think there is some like even even if you sub if you subscribe or if you're reading this all as like christian ap- ap- apologetic stuff um there there's more depth there than i think narnia accurately conveys yeah that seems reasonable yeah all right so that's till we have faces i mean there's there's a lot of other stuff that we could have talked about and there there's actually i mean some of the plot synopsis stuff where she's just being queen and being kind of awesome at it (laughs) we didn't get to we didn't get to talk about because it, it doesn't get to like the core i the core questions that the book is grappling with and yeah, like some of that stuff is just is just engaging and and fun to read, like there's this whole section in the middle where she's like her father, the king, who kind of sucks and hates women. Mm-hmm. Like, there's probably a whole feminist episode we could do about this book <laughs> about this book that we just have not gotten to touch upon, but he dies, and she becomes queen. And she kind of sees herself being split into these two personalities. Like, there's Orwell, who's scared of everything, and there's the queen, who is just coldly awesome at everything. Interesting. And so for a long time, the queen personality kind of shoves Orwell down, because Orwell's the one who's exposed to all the suffering, and the queen is just the one who's being a really good queen. Huh. So yeah, there's there's that whole section of the book that is just that's interesting all by itself,
0: like devoid of the context of both the myth and yeah the Christian allegory. That's interesting, and I
1: think that I think that's the stuff that that people coming to this from Narnia would be more comfortable. Oh okay, with. yeah, cool.
0: Well, um, that's yeah. a wrap on this episode then. I think it is. Uh, so if you wanted tell me what book I should read from this episode that we've talked about that I haven't read. Or you if can, you have faces. or Oh, that was the easy <laughs> setup. Sorry. If you have a face, you can email us <laughs> at overdopod at gmail.com to tell us how cool that face is. Uh, again, if you have any questions or thoughts about our upcoming... Live show in Philly the weekend of August 29th. You could send those thoughts there. I did want to say that there's going to be a podcast that weekend called Did You Eat? which is just a great name for a show. I assume it's about food. I hope it's about food. If it's not, that's even better. <laughs> um, you can also reach out to us on Facebook or Twitter. That's where we'll be, you know, kind of quickly posting info about those things. So I want to thank uh oh well I should say twitter.com slash overdue pod and facebook.com slash overdue pod I want to thank nice. Albie, Cameron, Eric, Ray, Matthew, Sarah, John, Terry, Catherine, Rachel, Sean, Catherine, Jennifer for reaching out on social media this week. I didn't mean to make it like a cheer or anything. That's just kind of what happened. <laughs> also I want to give a big thank you to Kevin of People of the Web. Uh, Kevin took some time to interview us this uh past week and put us on episode five of his show uh, which was super fun and just a, you know, a great chance for us to chat both about how the show came to be and about how our listeners kind of keep us going.
1: Yeah, so that's at uh, peopleofthewebpodcast.com. Great. Um, that was a fun show to do. Um, if you want to find other stuff out about our little show, you can go to podcast.com. That is where we have iTunes, Stitcher, and RSS links that you can use to subscribe to the show um, and, and get it automatically every week. When new ones come out, if you subscribe to us in iTunes or Stitcher, leave us a rating or a review Um, that helps in the rankings and it makes us feel really good. Um, We've gotten a handful of nice reviews this week, which I really should have been ready to read yeah you really should have I, you do this every I week you really i know you
0: really like to read speaking these
1: speaking the sentence slowly we got reviews from katherine mark uh Lappin lapin 80 those were both very nice cool um anything else Also, uh, yeah yeah, We have we have Amazon links to the books that we have right and are going to read. If you want to read along or read ahead, click those and buy the books. We get a little cut of that. We've also got a link to our Patreon page. That is patreon.com slash overdue pod. That is a place where you can pledge a small amount of money per month that helps us uh, cover hosting costs and book buying costs. And equipment costs, and uh, we're we're hoping to have some stuff at this live show for people to take home with them. That I think that money is going to end up paying for. Um, yeah,
0: one of our larger milestone goals is to do a live show. This will not supplant that uh, because this is kind of part of a festival. That goal is ultimately kind of us just running everything and doing a show. So you know, help us reach that goal. Um, oh, and one other thing, Andrew. The uh, our friends at Book Riot are having like a big book festival called Book Riot Live November seventh and eighth this fall at the Metropolitan West in New York City. Uh, we're still New York City, New York City, the Big Apple. Uh, we are still in trying to figure out what we're going to be doing that weekend if you know we we're going hope
1: gonna, we hope to be there we hope we to are, be we're we not sure we're going to be yet but we're gonna we're gonna try we hope to be there and we'll keep you posted if we
0: are but if you are 18 and older and for some events 21 and older uh you might want to attend and we have a code for you if you do hope to attend uh if you use the discount code overdue all caps we think uh, we don't know if it's case sensitive uh,
1: we know that we have a coupon. We don't know if it's case-sensitive. Yes. I just wanted to make that clear.
0: Uh, if you use the code overdue at bookriotlive.com, you'll get $20 off a full registration cost. which I think is like over 10%. It's going to be you know, authors, uh, artists, organizers, podcasters, fans from Book Riot, which is an awesome website,
1: uh, as well as margaret atwood yeah they announced that margaret atwood is gonna be there which is insane so like
0: that's worth 10 times more the of the discount we're giving you so you should probably go check that out we'll keep you posted on that throughout the summer as well
1: and uh we just on that subject we did do an episode on the handmaid's tale a while back so if if you like margaret atwood and you didn't know about that maybe you dig through our catalog and find it way to bring it back to us andrew good No, it's all about us we're the story here <laughs> <laughs>
0: not the books we read we're the, that should be our new tagline overdue podcast we're the story here
1: a podcast about the people reading the books you've been to
0: read. <laughs> <laughs> That's largely what it is already
1: all right everybody um craig what are you reading next week
0: i'm reading wit by margaret edson it's a play about uh cancer Wait of wow. all things. Yikes. It's a it's actually a really cool play. I I am like halfway through it already, so.
1: Okay, so we're going to bring you that next week. Until then, everybody try to be happy. I hate you. Um...